1: Welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and joining me today is Rachel from Sphere Home Loans, back again. Last week's episode, she was on the main show and through raving reviews. We've got her back and joins us on the property show today. So we're going to talk about uh, some questions in the Facebook group and it was a really long thread that we got the initial episode from on the main show. Uh, there's some things that we need to expand on from in there that we might have uh, didn't get time for in the main show. So we'll answer those today and much more. Uh, let's get into it. So Rachel, welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. It is my pleasure. Now, we did a long episode uh, last week, didn't we? And, uh, we did. And, and, uh, there was yeah, lots of uh, uh, positive reinforcement from what people got out of that because when we're generally talking to a mortgage broker, at the end of the day, we just want a loan. We want to go and buy our property and get it done and, and uh, sometimes we don't know what questions to ask and we, we don't know what we don't know. So we want to Delve into some some hard hitting questions in the Facebook group, and thank you for everyone who's contributed there. Like I'm looking at the commentary, there's like over a hundred comments. Like it's uh, it's out of this world stuff. So uh, thank you again for those who have taken the time to to post and and also give their view as well, because we appreciate all of that. So, Rach, before we get into some of those questions, at the time of recording right now, we had another rate increase yesterday by the RBA. Tell me might be a stupid question, but do all banks pass that rate increase on?
2: They tend to all pass it on. They haven't passed it on yet, but they've come out and started to announce today that they will be. So, that might not take effect for a few weeks, um, but it will take effect eventually.
1: Okay. So, 0.25 was what the RBA raised the rates by. So, generally speaking, most banks and i think i think i saw somewhere there's 86 or 87 lenders around the country they would all add that 0.25 to their variable rate would they increase it by more and and have you seen much of that
2: lately i haven't seen anybody increasing by more than the rba mm-hmm. uh, what we are seeing each time is that the banks are adding on the 0.25 but then taking a little bit off for new to bank customers so after three or four rate rises, you're, there's obviously a bigger difference between existing customers and new to bank customers. And that that's where that reprice thing that we're talking about comes in. But no, nobody's going up above the 0.25.
1: Sure. So loyalty doesn't give you any favours these days. It's, uh, it's rewarding new clients only.
2: It, it has been that way for a while.
1: Yeah. Okay. And generally, it's like opening up a credit card and, and shutting one down. Much easier to open one up than to close one down. Uh, so they'll pass them on quicker. If there was a rate reduction, they would take their good old time to to pass that reduction on, if at all.
2: Would that be fair to say? Yeah, well, they have been passing them on as well as rates were going down. But sometimes it wasn't the full point two five that okay. they were taking off.
1: Interesting. Just sings to us that we need to be continually onto this stuff, don't we? We we can't let twelve months go by and and not check what finance structures you've got.
2: No, in a normal market, you might let it go every 12 months, mm-hmm. but in, in this market, you really do need to just be be on top of it.
1: Sure. Okay. All right, let's get into it. So, first question. Stephanie Trost says, after you've bought the first one, as in the first property, what do you have to do to prepare for the next one? Now, I presume Stephanie's talking about finance-wise, what are we, what are we doing to prepare ourselves? So, First thing that springs to mind is well, we need cash or we we need equity to buy a property or to show the banks we've got a deposit. But depending on what we've got in that um, space, yeah, what are the steps?
2: Yeah, so you need when you bought your first home, you need a combination of two things, which is income to service the debt and deposit. But that deposit doesn't just have to be savings anymore because you've got a property now. So it could be a combination of equity that you've got in your existing property and a cash deposit, or it could be all equity that you've got in your existing property that you're utilising to use the next. So I think to prepare for your next home, you focus on um, paying as much as you can off the loan that you've got. And that may mean into an offset account. So you've got a little bit more flexibility, but also um, I guess looking at the income side of things as well.
1: Sure. Okay. So for for the first time listeners out there don't understand quite what equity is, equity is the difference between the value and the debt of your property, but then there's usable equity. So most banks will say, what's the value uh, of your property times by 80% minus the debt of your property. So on a 500K loan, uh, if your debt's 200K, for example, uh, 500 times 80% is 400 when I last went to school, minus (laughs) 200K is your debt. So the usable equity component is 200,000.
2: Yeah. So you have that usable equity. And as long as you've got the income to service the next loan, obviously you've got the rent that you can use for the next one as well. You can tap into that equity rather yeah. than have a saved deposit.
1: Which is great, isn't it? And, and for the superstars out there that have bought really well, that equity can come sooner rather than later. Just how quickly can that come? Because I would I would think that when you first settle on the property, uh, you've, you've got that loan there, the generally the valuers or the banks won't want to go and value that property different to what the purchase price was within a month of having settled the property?
2: No, not a month, but after a few months you can. So, I'll give okay. you an example. In 2019, I had a client buy her first investment property. She had a small deposit saved, but she used a parental guarantee to buy this investment property. That property went up quite significantly in two years' time. She's just had that property revalued, released her parents, but also pivoted off the equity in that property, which has just grown over the last few years and bought herself another.
1: Wow. So that, let me do the maths on that. So that property had to have gone up at least 25%.
2: It definitely did.
1: Wow. That's a great outcome. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, don't think that the property does that all the time, by the way, but uh, that that's an amazing outcome. So yeah, we can use cash or equity. Uh, Stephanie's saying, well, what what other things can we prepare for? Do we look at our don't do is, I suppose, that the things that we don't want to do in preparation for saving for that next deposit or creating some equity. So maybe things like, well, don't take on any bad debt as such.
2: Yeah, well, it, taking on debt of any sort is that obviously going to reduce your borrowing capacity from an income perspective. Um, also, if you're you're saying buy the first one, you want to. What can we do to buy the next one? I think it's also time to sit down and think. Well, if I bought the next one, would it be would this one become an investment property? Mm. And if it would, then maybe you should be ploughing all of those extra funds that you're putting into an offset account rather than the loan. So if you are yeah. making plans to have a bit of a portfolio going, I guess getting a bit strategic about where you're putting all that extra money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I uh, have a bit of a chuckle here. Adam has replied in the, that question uh, In this kind of market, you will struggle unless you have 100K saved and no debt. Um, Adam, I disagree with that. I don't think we need 100K saved because first of all, we don't need cash. We can use equity and we don't necessarily need
2: 100K, do we? No, there's all different situations. So I'd hate for someone to read that and think they couldn't buy because they didn't have 100,000 saved. Not many people buying then second property use 100,000 cash to purchase it. Um, I had a client recently that had already bought their first home um, and it was already sitting at the 90% You know, LVR Mm. situation. So there wasn't sufficient equity to use it to buy another. They actually used a parental guarantee for their investment property.
1: Right. So they bought their first home, went to a 90% loan to value ratio. Uh, and that first home was their home to live in to live in, yeah, yeah. and then they didn 't use the parental guarantee for the first home, no, but they decided to use it for the second home so that 's a common misconception is that the parental guarantee has to be used for your own rock
2: isn 't it that is right. Some lenders will do it for investment and not saying that 's right for everybody, but yeah. it does sort of um, take away that myth that you need a certain amount saved well uh, uh,
1: that is amazing stuff because. It basically means that you can get into that next property, provided that you service okay, with little to no deposit.
2: That's right. If you've got sufficient equity, especially. Mm. I mean, with these last, now it's nine rate rises, the borrowing capacity thing is really getting affected because these assessment rates are 3% above that. But it's always good to check whether you are on track. So, you know, if you're planning on getting into the next one, let's have a look at your borrowing capacity. How Mm. short are you? Um, And sort of know what that gap is before you, you know, plow into saving.
1: Yeah. There you go, Stephanie. Some uh, some good tips right there. Um, Adam, appreciate your comments uh, as well. Um, didn't, didn't want to shoot you down completely there. Now, Stephanie, your next purchase might be sooner rather than later is is what I'm hearing there. And for anyone else out there, uh, that also may be the case. So two things stop us from buying property, I believe. One is uh, the bank's ability to lend us and the, and the deposits we've got. And the second one which makes up majority of people is their mindset and the ability to say, oh, I can't do it or I'm not ready or it's not safe or there's fear out there or I'm scared or whatever. So, uh, yeah, we need to continually work on that second piece uh, if we've got the first one already sorted. All right, so next question. So Matthew Simpson asks a great question and it's for the self-employed out there. Any recommendations slash tips for small business owners for refinancing when the original mortgage was obtained under PAYG? So pay as you go. Now what that basically means is in Matthew's example, he may have bought a property when he was an employee and he's provided pay slips. Now he's running his own business. It's a totally different set of uh, income and expenses and financials and company tax returns maybe. Uh,
2: How does Matthew go about this? So, generally speaking, if you've become self-employed, the bank wants to see your tax returns now that you're self-employed before they will lend you money. And there might be a minimum term for that. So, they might want one or two years tax returns as a self-employed person before you can borrow. Um, and some banks will do it with just the one year if you've been self-employed for, let's say, 18 months. Um, and generally, you have to be self-employed for 18 months before you have a full set of tax returns. Um, but I guess if you're looking to prepare for that, it's making sure sure your accountant knows that you're looking to borrow. So, he can make sure your tax returns are something that you can borrow with as well. We don't want to see um, you know, too much go on in those tax returns that wouldn't allow you to borrow. So, I'd say let your accountant know that you're looking to borrow. Um, there's some banks, let's say you're a plumber and you've been working for a company for the last five years and then you decide that I'm going to be a self-employed plumber now. There are some banks that will look at your PAYG income and say, well, you were earning, say, $80,000 a year as a plumber. Um, Now that you're self-employed, we don't know how you're going to go as a business person, but if it's a low enough percentage of lend, they might say, well, we'll lend on the income that you had. So, there are certain um, exceptions that bank makes.
1: Yeah. Okay. A thought that just popped into my head and these thoughts come randomly. um, Regarding lenders mortgage insurance, Now, some like it, some don't, some factor it in as a cost of doing business. Some lenders out there have got uh, favourable employment situations or, or industries that say, well, we'll actually waive the LMI because you're a doctor. That's right. Yep. Now, as a small business owner, do, do they also come under that banner if they're a doctor running their own business? Yes.
2: Yeah, so if you're a doctor running your own business, a lot of, you can still qualify for those medical um, exceptions. Okay. Um, being self-employed doesn't doesn't take that away. Sure. But I mean, some of those. Um, you know, those LMI waivers have really extended out. Have I mean, they? they've they've extended out to things like teachers and nurses, emergency services. So it's not just the old accountant, lawyer, doctor that it used to be. And did I hear that there was
1: one lender that was just taking someone who'd simply had a degree, regardless of whether where that degree was? Like...
2: Um, I didn't know if it was the LMI waiver, but there are some lenders that will lend a higher percentage okay. or do a longer loan term for people who just have a degree. A degree in something,
1: yeah. So, that that's not maybe a recommendation to go out there and get a university degree, but it's, uh, <laughs> if you've got one, and again, speaks to having the right mortgage broker in your corner who knows these tips and tricks. Um, so, for Matthew, sounds like a great mortgage broker, sounds like a great accountant. Those two people are critical in your team anyway, but being a business owner, a little bit more strategic thinking required.
2: Yeah. And your broker might, um, your accountant might send your financials to your broker to check before he lodges them too. Yeah, Um, It's good to just do a little health check before you sign off on those tax returns that you're going to be stuck with for a year.
1: Cool. And and I'm passionate about this because I'm a business owner myself. Will banks take Uh, preliminary financials. uh, So, draft tax returns that aren't actually lodged.
2: That has happened a lot less in the last five years. It used to be a big thing. Um, Now, the bank may not take the interims as the tax return, but they may use it to support an application. So, let's say we're trying to get a little... We're trying to use one year in isolation. We don't want to average out two years. We've had a really good year, uh-huh. and we just want to use 2022 tax returns. Well, what the bank might say is, "We'll look, show us how 2023 is tracking with interims, and we, if it's the same as 22, we'll let you just use that year, even though it's not in our policy." Okay. So while they don't have a policy out there saying they'll use interims, there are banks that will use let us use that to support an application.
1: Mm, cool. Okay. No, that's great info. All right, great question by Matthew, because uh, there are a lot of small business owners out there in the in the group and that do tune in and listen to our show. Um, so shout out to everyone else out there that is a business owner. Uh, but yeah, it is a lot more complicated than people think when they're when they're running businesses, isn't it? Right, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with more after the break. Okay, so Cal Koenig says, can you be approved for a mortgage that goes beyond retirement if you can prove that you have an adequate income stream coming from your super to cover your repayments? I have a defined benefit that will be at least 80% of my salary. So old people like myself are starting to think <laughs> about this, Rach. It's like, well, okay, I go and get a mortgage at 60. I'm going to be 90 technically before I pay this thing off. A, are the banks going to give me a mortgage at 60? And, and B, what what's the story when I do hit retirement?
2: So this thing about, I guess, your age and exit strategy, we'll call it, came into play about 10 to 15 years ago, where the bank said, well, we can't give you a 30-year loan term if you're going to be over retirement age at the end of this mortgage unless you can show that you can pay that off at retirement. So to answer your question, Cal, yes, if you've got a defined benefit scheme that will be paying 80% of your salary, that's your exit strategy. But there's a number of other exit strategies that are acceptable. And that might be, hey, by the time I retire, I'm going to have this much in super. Or one of the common ones is downsizing. So you might have a really big home now while you've got your kids. You're 50, but you've still got three kids at home. And I want to have this $2 million house now. But when I retire in 20 years time, I'm going to downsize that home and move to a smaller home. And that's my exit strategy. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be super. It can be a, a list of other things. But I guess it's important to note that the way the banks interpret that policy is different. So, some banks will say, well, look, even if you're 70, I don't care how great your exit strategy is, we're not going over a 20-year loan term. And some banks will say, we'll give you a 30-year loan term at 80 as long as you've got a sufficient exit strategy.
1: Yeah, wow. So, uh, an example, someone at 60, to uh, 30-year loan, 90, unlikely that they'll be alive at that stage. Um, <laughs> most yeah. Average age is unfortunately 85 of, of death in Australia, so we'll take the average. So will the banks give you an interest-only period at the start when you're 60 or will they take your age and say, look, regardless of whether it's owner-ocker investment, you're on P&I, baby?
2: No, so I've got plenty of investors in their 60s that are running interest-only portfolios. Right. We just have to show that on the age of retirement, we've got a strategy for that client yeah. and that could be a mixture of, Super. And if it's an investment property, the exit strategy can simply be, I'm going to sell that property. So, you can go interest only on all of your investment properties at any age because your exit strategy is selling the property. Where when your owner-occupied home, the list, the, I guess, the requirements of exit strategy, they want to know that you could move to a more sufficient home. So, some banks won't take downsizing as an exit strategy, but all the banks are happy to look at selling an investment property for an exit strategy.
1: Yeah. Well, there's the strength in bricks and mortar right there, isn't it? If you say that your exit strategy in, in 20 years' time or 25 years' time or 15 years' time is sell the property, the banks are pretty much saying, well, okay, that's cool because we know it will have gone up in value.
2: Yeah. And that's we basically get. what they're saying, isn't it? We, they are. And we have to give an exit strategy for everyone over 40. Right. So even if you're Ooh, 40 me. years old, which are the majority of our clients now, they, we have to give an exit strategy, which is why when we do gather your information at the start, we tend to ask for super statements yeah, okay. um, to see what what your super balance is.
1: And, and out of interest, do you need to ask the, the client that? Or does a client need to know that? Like, because generally a lot of people at 40 won't know their exit strategy. <laughs> no.
2: And sometimes we ask them yeah. um, and say, look, you know, you've got a certain amount in super. I predict you'll have this much in super by the time you're 65. Is it fair to say that you're going to use that super to pay down your home because yeah. people don't sit around at 40 and think about their exit strategy. No. Um, but before we put somebody over 40 in a 30-year loan term, we do have to cover that off that with them yeah. for our compliance.
1: Yeah. Okay. And for those that want to retire by 45 or 50, that that's cool. You will have thought of that, but generally we're talking Transition of retirement, 65, 67, et cetera.
2: That's right. And some mm. people say, well, look, I want to pay this home off in 15 years. And we go, well, that's great. Let's set the repayment for 15 years. But you might not want to restrict yourself with a 15 year loan term. You still might want 30 years.
1: Mm. So, again, it comes down to your cash flow situation at the time, what you can handle, but just make sure we've always got our, our buffers up our sleeve for our unforeseen. Now, we probably didn't foresee nine rate rises in nine months or 12 months, whatever it was. Uh, however, we knew that the rates were going to go up. And, and Glenn and I spoke last week about having uh, trends and, and knowing that. We've got to forecast and not be economists and, and not continually watch the, the, the news, but just understand what's happening out there and just have your eyes wide open to know, well, okay, inflation's at 7.8%, unemployment rate's at 3.5% or 4%. It's on the move a little bit. Uh, the the trends are, what, what are we factoring in? Are we factoring in uh, a percent above the current interest rate? I know the banks are assessing me at what 3% above? Um, it is about 3%, 3% yeah. 3%, yeah. So, they know that if I'm paying 5%, they've got us covered at 8%. And But that may have been 12 months ago when they assessed it at 3% above because that was 3% at the time. They assessed it at 6 Now, it's 5%. They're assessing it at 8 There's very different numbers at play, aren't there?
2: They are. And that's why flexibility is great. So, you know, you might want to choose to pay off something quicker, but- maybe not box yourself into that if you don't have to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Be able to pivot left or right. Vanessa McAllister, great question. Is there any benefit to keeping a loan open? So again, we're thinking that we've paid the loan off, we've paid our mortgage, we've, the, the great Aussie dream is achieved. Uh, are we keeping the loan open? So currently have... Vanessa says, currently have equal in offset as loan amount, so it could pay off completely, but does keeping it open make it easier to access equity? Are there any benefits keeping the loan? Now, before I pass to you, Rach, let's give the example. Vanessa's got 500K as a loan. She also has 500K sitting in the offset against that loan. So essentially, she's not paying any interest. And uh, she might be paying principal and interest repayments, so paying it down, but also she could wipe that in one foul swoop if she wanted to.
2: What are the pros and cons there? Well, There's definitely pros and cons for both. Um, if you were worried about having that much money available to you, or you, know, you thought, oh, I might use this money if I don't get rid of it, pay the loan down. But if it was me personally, I have a business, I like to invest in property, I like to have as much money available to me as possible, as long as it's free. So, if you've got a $500,000 loan and you've got $500,000 sitting in offset, you're paying nothing to have that $500,000 available to you. So, to answer the question, um, you know, is it easier to get money down the track? Yes, it is, because it's already your money. So, you can take that at any time, but if you were to close that loan off and then want to borrow money for um, you know, a different purpose in a month's time, you go through the application process completely again. So, it's a common misconception that people think, oh, I borrowed this much money before, I'll be able to get it again. Yes. But people who borrowed three months ago probably couldn't borrow the same amount as they could now. We've had no. three rate rises.
1: Okay, so a variation to that let's say Vanessa has paid her loan off completely and there's zero money in the offset because there's no loan now. There's the, the, the In the old days, there was let's get the title back and store it in the solicitor's office or put it in our top drawer at home. Now it's just simply an electronic version um, that we've got the title to the property and we've taken it off the bank because we no longer have a bank loan. If Vanessa was in that situation, would you keep that loan open and is that easier to get a new loan if she wanted to or would you grab the title and keep it in your hot little hands and not have any loan outstanding.
2: Oh, so as soon as you do have, as soon as you've paid off your loan and let's say it's not available in redraw anymore, which is generally what happens, I would get those deeds back. Mm-hmm. You would be surprised at how many people who've paid off their loan a decade ago and I ask where their deeds are for that property we're going to use for, you know, parental guarantee or an investment property, and they, they've they been with the bank this whole time. Um, you should have those deeds in your possession, maybe yep. not in the safe at home as it's electronic, but you, the bank still had an interest in that property until you request those deeds back, and yep. you have to request them.
1: So, when you're saying deeds, you mean the certificate of title and yep. and your ownership? That's yep. right. Yeah. Okay. So, it's a fallacy out there that if you keep the loan open, it's easier to get another
2: loan that's right. Mm-hmm. Keeping a loan open, unless you've got access to redraw, yeah. um, if it's already paid off, no, it doesn't make it easier to get yeah. another loan. Okay. They, the bank would just already hold your deeds.
1: Sure. Okay. Good problem to have, by the way, having uh, the title or the deeds back in your hot little hands, meaning yeah. you've you got no mortgage. But I do meet a lot of people and I met someone last week. Uh, we we did a clarity call together. They've paid off their mortgage. They took about 15 years to pay it off. Very good. Uh, very disciplined people. However, they wanted to pay their mortgage off before they started investing. Now they've realized that, hang on a minute, we could have been doing both. Yeah. And that's that sticking point, isn't it, of fear or lack of knowledge or lack of confidence or understanding because mum and dad never do it and they just told me to pay the mortgage off because that's the great Aussie dream but uh, they, they've maybe cost themselves eight or 10 years
2: of, of wealth. That's right. And if you, I guess, while you're paying that mortgage down, there's nothing stopping you investing. So it, one doesn't affect the other. No. So it is, um, you know, I guess eight years ago, if they'd bought a property, look at what it would have been worth now. And Absolutely. they still would have been paying that mortgage off at the same rate.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Vanessa, just uh, in finishing on that question, does keeping it open make it easier to access the equity? The, the answer is basically No.
2: Not if the loan has already been paid out. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay. So if the loan hasn't been paid out, there's still the 500 sitting there, there's the 500 against it. She's then got the question of do I use cash as a deposit or I use equity from my home that I've got there.
2: Yeah, so I wouldn't close out that loan until I knew what I wanted to do. So, sometimes people want an investment property and it is better to borrow it all um, against the investment property, but you want to know what you're doing before you go and close things off that can't be unclosed.
1: Okay. So, another question on top of Vanessa's. (laughs) Again, just stuff coming into my random head. 500K was the loan. Her servicing is a little bit low. She may need to pay down some of that loan in order to increase their servicing. Have you seen much of that?
2: Yeah, we have seen a lot of that. I actually spoke to somebody today who's got a loan, a mortgage of say a million dollars and most of that he's got sitting in offset. Um, And he's a property investor who's got a few properties and he asked me what his borrowing capacity is for his next property. And I said, this is what you can borrow now. Or if we reduce the limit of your home loan by 200,000, I can get you what you want. And so we've made the decision that even though he's not using those funds at the moment, he may want them, so he doesn't want it all gone, but he's reducing it by the 200,000 to enable his borrowing capacity to buy for this next investment property. Cool. So sometimes it's a combination of the two, yeah. but he wouldn't have wanted to go and reduce that before knowing no. that it was going to enable his next move.
1: Yeah. it's yeah. And it's a bit a little bit like paying down the hex or help debt yeah. in order to borrow more money. It's uh, sort of rob Peter to pay Paul, but it's for a better outcome.
2: Yeah. And that's why even when people are paying off debts to buy a property, let's go, let's get your approval subject to paying these out before yeah. you do it. Or you might be using all the deposit we need to pay out these debts. Let's just sit down and work it out because you can always get approvals subject to reducing loans.
1: Yeah, cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. We've got time for one more. Time flies when you're having fun and educating. Uh, We have uh, Anonymous. Does the fact that you purchase your first home with the 5% home loan deposit scheme and the 20% deposit scheme hinder your ability to rent the property out? The loan to value ratio is not at 20% yet. So what this person's referring to is, you've got these schemes under the condition that you were living in it yourself. Now most of these, and check your state that you're living in or purchasing in, require you to live in it for the first
2: 12 months. Well, the 5% scheme, that was a little bit different. So, that was the one where the government is actually guaranteeing the loan. Yes. So, it's like a parental guarantee, but the government is guaranteeing it. So, they pay the mortgage insurance, mm. but they guarantee the loan. And it's like a parental guarantee with the government sitting there. But you can't rent that property out until that guarantee is released
1: which for them to release the guarantee is to get the loan-to-value ratio back to 80%. That's right. Yeah. So,
2: technically, from my understanding, and I would definitely check this for your state, the ones where the government is guaranteeing it, they don't allow you to rent that house out yeah. okay. until that guarantee is released. And we had a few clients last year opt not to take that scheme up for that reason.
1: Mm. Interesting. And, and my mind goes straight to the fact, well, if someone comes through this door right now, they'd be saying, well, who's going to check? right, has the government got minions that are going to knock on my door and check whether I'm living here or not? And uh, <laughs> and the answer is, well, who knows? But that's the ruling as we see it.
2: Yeah. And you just want to make sure you um get that information before you do rent it out. You don't want to get yeah. caught.
1: No, absolutely. Because what you're liable for is paying back the what would be the lender's mortgage insurance, wouldn't it?
2: Well, I, I believe so. I actually haven't seen that happen. But no. I know with the stamp duty one, where the, that first home buy yeah. one, where you have to live in it for six months in the first 12, you would need to pay that back.
1: Yes. Yeah. And generally speaking, that's proof of um, like utilities bill. It might be removalist to, to move to that property and it's um, electoral roll. Yeah. Yeah. So any case, that is great. All right. Uh, as always, Rach, that is amazing information and some awesome questions. Uh, we've sucked that post-dry that uh, was put up a couple of weeks ago about um, finance questions, but I'm sure there's many more and it's, it's ever-changing, isn't it, in terms of just, we, we could sit here in a week's time and you've found out something else that's going to be beneficial.
2: Yeah, I have actually noticed a few questions that have been added to here since we did the podcast, so okay. I will spend some time going through and answering those as well. Sure. Awesome. Okay. And if anyone wants to find you, Rach, where are they finding you? Um, we are at spherehomelines.com.au. Okay.
1: Excellent awesome well appreciate your time today thanks john thanks everyone for tuning in Uh, if you think we're doing an okay job throw us a five-star review Uh, until next time take care
0: We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.
1: Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education.
2: That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps.
1: I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space.
2: And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course.
1: Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today.
0: This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. SIMO Interactive proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of MoneyShopper, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451-289.